Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on our podcast. Mr. Musk saying no mas. Elon's early morning tweet that the Twitter deal may be off. Temporarily. What the hell does that mean? It means he hasn't figured out if he can get out of the billion dollar breakup fee. <laughs> the world's richest man and social media. The soap opera continues. Tech analyst Dan Ives joins us. Well, to come out in a tweet, I mean, it sends it, this whole thing into a circus show. And Coinbase CFO Alicia Haas says customer accounts on the crypto trading platform are secure and navigating through rough patches is possible. I think a lot of people are waiting to see where bottom is. And this is a broader macroeconomic risk off market. And we'll start to see money flow back in crypto when people feel we've kind of settled out and have more predictability on the future. It's Friday, the 13th. Dun, dun, dun. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We've also got this big news of the morning, Joe. <laughs> Mr. Musk saying no mas on we, Twitter. We really got to... Uh... We really, I, I think we're starting to understand that, 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 that maybe he doesn't always know exactly what he might do the next day. I wonder, was it, is he on the West Coast? Did, this, did the tweet come out when he was still up from yesterday? Or was it an early morning tweet? Or, yeah, is he in Texas? Our top story today, Elon Musk tweeting that his planned $44 billion deal to buy Twitter is temporarily on hold. In his words, uh, it all has to do with pending details supporting uh, the calculation that spam slash fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. That's from like May 2nd, uh, a Reuters piece uh, that said that's the, that's the number. Uh, Based on a company filing. Dan Ives joins us now on the Squawk Newsline. Uh, Dan, um, I know we know that Elon Musk is mercurial and I don't know whether you'd say seat of the pants, but number one, does this qualify as a public dissemination? I wouldn't like to hear about this if I was a Twitter shareholder counting on, uh, you know, counting on that acquisition price. And then I find out about it early morning on Twitter. Is that OK? No, I, I think it's not OK. I think that's the first thing. I mean, in terms of this is unprecedented and especially a deal like this, you, you'd expect some filing or, or something more formal to come out and tweet. I mean, it sends it, this whole thing into a circus show because now the street's initial reaction is going to be he's looking for a way to get out of his deal. Tesla's down $300 billion, margin calls, and this is going to really be the sort of way he gets out of it. And, and, that's, and now, from Twitter perspective, I mean, the stock could go under 30. Yeah, and... and- there's no way he can send out another tweet that says, oh, just kidding, because there's real money. Again, uh, when the deal was announced, there was real money going in, so it was hard to believe that that was a joke. Now, this can't be a joke either, because there are people that are involved right now in trades that, uh, that you just saw down there losing their shirt. All right, so you must be shocked, Dan, aren't you? It's a shocker, and, and, and it's something where right now, you know, there's, but the ARB spread has continued to increase in terms of Twitter shares. And there, that's been a question. Was he looking for more financing? How was he changing it? It really came down to so much pressure in terms of the Tesla leverage that I believe he overestimated in terms of the impact and the effect that it's had on Tesla. And ultimately, Tesla's stock continues to go down. 
that ultimately catalyzes whether it's margin calls or more capital you have to put up. And that's why right now, I mean, this is a full-on Friday the 13th circus show in terms of now the way that this hit off this morning. If it was April 1st, it would be very confusing. Dan, it's been a a circus show from the beginning, I I would argue. But what I'm trying to understand is he can obviously walk for a billion dollars. That's the cost of walking. Unless he can claim that the company's lying about something, which I don't think is what he's now saying. Um, unless you think he's going to try to recut the deal. And by the way, from at least the reporting that I've been doing and a lot of the reporting you're seeing out there beyond what you're seeing this morning, there are actually a lot of investors who seem to be very happy to support him and give him money to do this. Whether that was a good investment or a bad idea uh, a week ago is, you know, is a different story. But and by the way, we don't know if I'm he's getting pressure is, from those investors, too, if they've changed their mind as the market has, has turned this way, too. I, Well, and that's another question about what those commitments even looked like. Were those handshake commitments? I thought they were actually they were there were actually documented commitments at the time that they were making literally just a week ago. Well, and that's that's really the spider web here. I mean, one. okay, is he trying to talk down the price and it's a renegotiation that he's trying to get a lower price in a market that's rapidly changed the last 30 days? That's one. Two, a billion dollar breakup fee from Musk. It's easy to walk away. So, and that's always been the street's view, and that's part of the ARB spread, is that it was, an, it was a pretty low breakup fee for him to walk away. But like you talked about, the Ellison, Sequoia, the debt financing, I mean, these are, these are things already done. And then now that he does this, I mean, this is going to send this all into a ripple effect, because as a Twitter holder, now deal, this deal breaks, especially in this market. I mean, the stock could go below 30 and of course, it would be bullish for Tesla because that's been a big overhang. But now this just creates the sort of nightmare scenario that everyone feared that Musk at, would just wake up one day and be like, okay, I'm just not going to do it. Well, let's talk about what he agreed with to do this. He, Tesla shares are down 25% since Musk agreed to do this. He sold $8.5 billion. He raised that $6.25 billion, which cut, you know, he had originally a $12.5 billion margin loan he was going to have to take out as part of the $44 billion. When he raised the $6.25 billion, that cut his uh, money on the line to $6.25 billion after he raised all of that money. I think he had commitments to raise another billion dollars since the filing that showed the original raise of money from other equity investors on this. but, yeah, if you watch Tesla shares go down 25 percent, you see the change in the market and you can understand why he would want to try and get out of this. But then you feel for the shareholders who bought in on the deal, who, people who came in. We know that the SEC was already investigating this. How does this up the ante? And, and does that concern you just from the perspective, Dan, of, of, of Tesla overall with how his attention is going to be turned, how he's going to get raked through investigations from the SEC over this? Well, yeah, I mean, this is this is something that just can't happen. I mean, in a public market, in a deal like this, he just cannot tweet something like this. I mean, it just can't happen. And I think now, of course, the regulatory scrutiny will increase, which it should. There'll be more twists and turns ahead. And and now, look, and then from a Tesla perspective, then where does this all leave? It was just it was a massive distraction from us, and now it's really turned into the circus show which has been a huge overhang for Tesla investors that never, ever wanted a piece in somehow being levered to the Twitter deal. Okay, so, hey, Dan, 
Do you think yeah. there's a possibility if, if Elon's out? And by the way, half, you know, half the place is out because you're seeing some of the senior people leaving the company. The CEO is like the CEO in name only. I mean, whatever happens, at, if Elon's gone, the current team, it's unclear whether they're the ones who are going to run the company in the future. Do you see somebody else coming in? Is there a private equity kind of player or somebody else? Maybe not at the kind of premium or valuation, but at some point do people say, okay, this whole thing is, is, is such a messed up situation. We need to get a new team in anyway. Well, no, that's, that's clearly a possibility, but it's what price. And, and that was the issue when he, when, when they ultimately look for other bidders. I mean, there was soon no one even near the price, especially in this market. So now it really causes just panic within Twitter because they thought they were packing up their bags and it was done. And now all of a sudden they're bringing the boxes back and they're like, okay, maybe we don't even get bought. I mean, there is a, the word temporarily in that tweet, too. What the hell does that mean? It means he hasn't figured out if he can get out of the billion-dollar breakup <laughs> fee. Well, no, we can. Temporarily, I'm eyes, would you, would you, to the idea of whether it's more than they're saying. Is there, is there any chance he goes, okay, I feel better about it, I'm, it's back on? I mean, look, anything's possible, but it just feels like this, I think this is going to be viewed as it's the first step of him trying to get out of a deal, whether it's the billion-dollar breakup fee or some other you know, sort of asterisk in terms of in the in the filings, in terms of ways to get out of it, and and, that, and I think that's that's how the street's going to perceive it. And now I think it cascades from here. When you look at what his rationale was all along, I, I, I mean, he mentioned that he wanted to clean up the the, the spam, but the real reason was to make it the this um, objective town hall form. And I don't see I don't see how this. It, factors in any of that at all if that was the real rationale and that was always like wait so this isn't about making money this is about you just being a good guy uh, because one side feels totally slighted by uh, uh, by the censors at twitter now that would still hold wouldn't it he would still be able to you know to, to clean that part of it up and i just it just doesn't ring true dan for the reason of why you you'd step away it doesn't ring nearly as true as Tesla at seven hundred dollars. Well, yeah, and I, I, the other thing it comes down to what Becky was talking about. Now with Tesla having a seven in front of it, and all of a sudden you start to sell stock and you start to get, you know, margin calls. Now all of a sudden, okay, the freedom of speech is one thing. Now it's real money, and I think that's why the scenario changed dramatically. But again, to do it in this way is just—it's like I say, it's a circus show, and now there's just a myriad of questions and no answers in terms of, you know, how this is all going to play out at least today. Uh, what was it? How many? There's going to be millions of people on Mars by when? Did you see that quote? That, that was just out uh, recently. I saw that and I said, I don't know, two years? <laughs> I don't think two years. Uh, right now it's just Matt Damon. He's the only guy. Like, no, he's back. Is he back? He's back, back from Mars. Dan Ives, uh, thank you. Um, thank you. Dan sounds like he's kind of shell-shocked, uh, I think, at this point. A myriad of questions and no answers. That state of affairs continues on today's pod. It's a Friday, and, and, and it's the 13th. It's, it's more like uh, April 1st. <laughs> and Coinbase's wild week. Weak earnings, using the B word, bankruptcy, and a poorly timed trading outage. CFO Alicia Haas joins us exclusively. 
Coinbase is 10 years old this month, and we've navigated through crypto cycles. Bitcoin fell 80% in 2017 to 2018. It fell again in 2015. So we've been through these turns and we've always come out stronger. We'll be right back. This is Squawk Pod. Cryptocurrency trading platform Coinbase has lost half its value in the past week. It's been a brutal few days for investors in digital assets. Meanwhile, one crypto enthusiast is still betting big, and as a result, Robinhood shares are now soaring. Here's Becky Quick. A new filing showing the CEO of crypto exchange FTX has taken a 7.6% stake in Robinhood for $648 million. That filing said Sam Bankman-Fried acquired the shares as an attractive investment and that he has no intention of taking action toward changing or influencing the control of the company. In other words, he's a passive investor. But the filing did also say that he may, from time to time, engage in discussions with management. Tweeting in response to the investment, Robinhood's communication team said, of course we think it's an attract, of course we think it's an attractive investment too. During the regular trading session yesterday, Robinhood's stock hit an all-time low this morning, though, bouncing by more than 20 percent. Andrew? Hey, Becky, just one note. And, and there's a lot of investors out there in the past, call it 12, 24 hours since that investment was made, who seem to think that this could be some kind of Musk Twitter-like transaction where you go in, Sam's making this investment and plans to eventually take over the company. That seems to be why the stock is uh, up as much as it is. There's a major distinction, a major distinction between the situation that was going on at Twitter, obviously now that's changed again this morning, but in terms of the way the company is governed, the two founders of the company own 65% of the company. In other they words, control there's no the way company. that they can, yeah, there's Full no way that they can do anything, right? If they want to sell, sure, but there is, I, I, I am under no illusion that these guys do not want to sell, at least I, I'm pretty confident I can say that. Uh, from no my own reporting in the last 24 hours do. and just more broadly, they just went public a year ago and seem to be very engaged in this company. So the idea that somehow he's coming in and buying the whole thing out, uh, at least under the current construct, I think is is not something that probably should be on the table but the way some investors seem no to be talking about. you're under no illusion that they do want to sell, not that they do not, right? I, I do not believe that they uh, have a for sale sign out. Yeah. I don't think they want to sell. And Unlike Twitter, uh, they completely control the company. If they don't want to sell, they don't have to sell. So, Coinbase hit a new 52-week low yesterday. The cryptocurrency platform was trading down 70% since late March before, well, a bounce this morning. To recap, Coinbase reported their first quarter results after the bell on Tuesday, and that report missed analyst estimates with a net loss of 430 million and a 19% drop in monthly users. But a major piece of news for investors in the report was this. In the event that the crypto exchange does go bankrupt, Coinbase says its users might lose all the cryptocurrency stored in their accounts too. Let that sink in for you. Following the earnings report, which sent the stock down more than 23%, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong assured investors that there's no risk of bankruptcy right now. Still, there's concern among investors about the growing operating expenses compared to revenue growth and compliance costs, not to mention the outages some customers of Coinbase experienced just yesterday. Yesterday, many users were unable to trade or access their accounts for several hours yesterday in the worst of the market sell-off. 
Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke with Coinbase CFO Alicia Haas in an exclusive interview about these things and much more. Here's Andrew. The stock of Coinbase is down about 70% since March. What are you telling investors? What are you telling employees? What do you think is happening right now? Thanks for the question. So to investors, I first say thank you. Thank you for holding on. Thank you for believing in Coinbase. Thank you for believing in crypto. And we are going to build a great company. We are going to build long-term wealth for you with our products and our services and our customers that we will add and introduce a billion people to crypto. And to our employees, Andrew, our employees are fired up. We are here to prove ourselves. We are here to build great products and services. And we think that we have the opportunity to become a generational company. And our employees are excited to show what we can be. But just just take us inside the room, though. Watching the stock fall the way it has, watching yes. crypto fall the way it has, I, I imagine has to have some has taken some emotional toll. It never feels good to watch stocks fall and to watch crypto fall. But you have to remember that this has been 10 years. Coinbase is 10 years old this month. And we've navigated through crypto cycles. Bitcoin fell 80% in 2017 to 2018. It fell again in 2015. So we've been through these turns and we've always come out stronger. We've always built to new heights and we've always built to more diversified products and services. So perhaps people who come to crypto have a stronger metal, but we know how to navigate through bumpy markets. And this is one more that we will navigate through and come out the other side stronger and better. What are you seeing this week specifically? Um, users have come down, obviously, but have, are you seeing people move their accounts out of Coinbase? Are you seeing people move their accounts um, to private wallets? So these last couple of weeks have been really volatile. And so we've seen a lot of activity in crypto. But in Q1, I'm going to focus just on what we had on Q1. Prices came down. But if you noticed, our assets on platform were just as strong as they were in Q3. And so they just came down off the Q4 highs. We didn't see great outflows. We continue to have very strong market share in the total crypto assets that we store on our platform. And we're not seeing assets move in great numbers to self-hosted wallets. We are seeing that, though. And that's an exciting trend because we're excited for the growth of decentralized finance. And we're excited for people to be able to explore NFTs, which are largely in DeFi. But what we're seeing is people just moving their money in between centralized crypto, decentralized crypto, and back again, and continuing to explore. There has been a flight to quality. So no different than we're seeing in the equity markets. A lot more money has moved into Bitcoin and Ethereum and away from the long tail. We're also seeing it in stable coins now where money is flowing more into USD. DC or Binance coin as there's been some instability in UST and other. But it's been a bit of a flight to quality, a bit of a flight to liquidity. And those are consistent themes that we see with the broader overall stock markets. How concerned are you, by the way, that crypto and Bitcoin in particular hasn't been this uncorrelated asset that mm-hmm. in large part was its promise? It's true. It's true. We've definitely seen it trade more in line with stocks and more in line with the NASDAQ and tech stocks in particular over the last few quarters. And I I think that we're still learning quite candidly about these correlations as a lot of institutional money has come into crypto. And with the broader volatility that we're seeing, we've seen strong correlations. It's been such a short time compared to Bitcoin's life that we've seen this correlation, though. I don't know what to call it. I don't know if this will continue or if this will break at some point in time. So definitely correlated over the recent months. But to be determined for the long term. We talk a lot on the show about whether the NASDAQ is the dog or the tail (laughs) relative to crypto, or if crypto is the dog or the tail. What are you seeing in terms of 
leverage in terms of for selling? So we are just a spot market and we do not have leverage on our platform. So it's hard for me to take a broader view because we are crypto only and I only see one side of the trade, one piece of the market. Um, you know, one of the things that happened this week, as you know, um, has been a real concern around the idea of what it means to be a customer at Coinbase and whether you could ultimately turn into a creditor of Coinbase. And so I want to ask you, you know, very, very specifically, are customer accounts segregated and insured in any way in the event of a bankruptcy? Yes, our customer assets are safe. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to address this. So first of all, customer assets are absolutely safe. There's two layers of protections that we have. One is the operational controls. Each client asset is segregated. It is separately held in each client's name on our ledgers. We know it's Andrew's money. We know it's Alicia's money. We know it's every customer's money. And you direct the money. We do not rehypothecate your funds. Every dollar that we hold for you in crypto is held dollar for dollar for you. So there's no risk of like a run on Coinbase. We just give you back your dollar. There's no other asset or liability that we need to pay off. Two, in addition to the operational controls, we have legal protections. So in our terms of service with our users, we state it is your asset. We are holding this on your behalf. We are operating on your behalf. And those legal protections should benefit all of our users. So why the risk factors might be your follow-up question. Why did we make this disclosure? Yep. So we absolutely believe our client assets are safe legally, operationally, but crypto is a brand new nascent industry. There is zero case law as it comes to crypto bankruptcy. And so the nature of risk factors, and you can read all of our risk factors, it is you name every bad thing that you could possibly imagine could happen. And because we can't point to case law, we said mm, there could be a tail risk in the unlikely, unlikely event of the Coinbase bankruptcy, which we just said we have six billion of cash and we were EBITDA positive and we feel financially strong. Because of lack of case law, we thought it prudent to put in a disclosure in a risk factor. And that is what caused the headline. But So just to be clear, though, if in fact Coinbase were to have to file for bankruptcy and we're not suggesting that that is the case at all, it is possible the creditors of the company, you think, could go after customer accounts and that a judge effectively could force you to keep and hold on to that money and give it to those creditors as opposed to those customers? We believe we have strong legal controls that is not the case. We believe we have the right operational legal protections that that would not be the case. But it is a very small tail risk that it still could happen. Things can happen even if they should not happen. And is that just for retail investors at, at Coinbase or is that also for institutional investors at Coinbase? So we have two products. We have a custody product that is held in a trust company, segregated assets on the blockchain. Those are held in customer name. No risk. Everything else is held in a trading account in which we segregate the assets, as I mentioned, in our ledgers. They're held in the customer's name. They are operationally and legally secure, but there is no case law for assets held outside of a trust company. So but just to be clear, who is in the trust company and who is not in the trust company? I'm we sorry. We offer a product in the, who, called Coinbase Custody. Right. We offer who, a product who, called Coinbase Custody. But who is in that? Who is, whose products are in, in that custody product relative to this other group? We have a custody product that we offer to institutions, high net worth individuals who choose to have assets in custody. That product is available for all customers who choose to access it. And then we also offer trading products. 
would you look to try to change the way the trading product is custodied? You know, we don't believe that we need to because we believe we have very strong operational legal controls and the assets are absolutely safe. I think that having one's assets in a trading account allows you to access 24-hour crypto markets, allows you to trade real time, which is what the crypto assets do. Having your assets in custody does not offer that same usability. Um, I want to also ask you about Tether, which briefly traded uh, below a dollar just yesterday. Terra, as you know, has now crashed both stablecoins tradable on your platform. To what extent do you think that the turmoil in the stablecoin market casts a shadow over all of crypto? Look, I think it's all very connected these days. I think that there is adding fear to the market, and that is adding a lot of the negative energy around the market that we see today. One of the other things that we have seen is that there have been users who've reported uh, outages. Can you tell us what's happened? Yes, we had a short outage today that is now back up and our systems are all running as expected. But, but what happened? Was it too much selling, too much buying? Router you fell know, down? What? <laughs> can't go into the details. Small, small bug that we found that we had to remediate. What do, you, what do you think that Coinbase has to do, and maybe perhaps even more broadly, the industry has to do to win back trust? We've been looking at the numbers, and when you look at Bitcoin, for example, some 40-plus percent of, of folks who bought Bitcoin are now in the red. So I think that it is less about trust, and it is more crypto cycles have existed since inception of crypto. And they've gone up and they've gone down, but they've always been on a upward trajectory over a long period of time. So the troughs are always higher and the peaks are always higher as we go through these cycles. So what I would say is we need to hold our assets. We need to invest for the long term. Crypto is not a quarter to quarter investment. And people need to have a long term view about the power of this technology and the opportunity that we have to drive crypto adoption. How much do you think that this sets things back? I don't think it sets things back. I think what we see is the innovation is continuing. I think that we are talking to our customers, talking to developers, talking to companies. Everybody's interested about how they build in crypto. They're still interested in figuring out how they pay their employees in crypto, how they build it into their product suite. So it's not setting back the day-to-day -day innovation. It is setting back the price, but the innovation continues, the builders continue, and in these down markets, we're continuing to build for the future. You know, one of the things we've been hearing for a very long time is that there's going to be a lot of institutional interest uh, in crypto. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're not hearing, especially as crypto has fallen, is that the institutions are now coming in and buying. Why do you think that is? I don't think we're seeing institutions come in and buy equities that are down 70 percent as well. I think a lot of people are waiting to see where bottom is. And this is a broader macroeconomic risk off market. And we'll start to see money flow back in crypto when people feel we've kind of settled out and have more predictability on the future. Um, wanted to also get your reaction. Uh, it's a competitor of yours, but uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, as you know, buying a 7.5% stake in Robinhood. What, I can't what, comment. What I wish him the best. Maybe more broadly, what is your sense, though, of the sort of acquisition opportunities and investment opportunities? I mean, clearly he's taking advantage of the fact that, that Robinhood's uh, value has fallen. 
Should we be expecting there are going to be other buyers? And are you talking to investors about coming in, for example, to Coinbase? I can't comment on any strategic transactions that we may be entertaining. But is that, is that something you'd be thinking about right now? I can't comment on that. Let me ask you one, just one other final question because I, I, I am fascinated by, which is, you know, compliance costs are going to continue to go up, and you've talked about that publicly. What do you think that looks like? And, and when you think about regulating crypto, given where we are and the volatility in, in the product, do you think that regulation would, would change that dynamic? So I believe that all firms are going to invest more in compliance to ensure that we can have strong compliance with regulations as they come forward. But I think it's no different than any financial services company or fintech out there. We need to have strong KYC controls. We need to have strong sanctions monitoring, transaction monitoring, and we are prepared to make all of those investments. So the cost could go up, but we're making really prudent investments to do this at scale with efficient execution. And I think that we'll get to the right marginal cost over time. And I got a question, and I hope it's not too personal. Are you buying in this market, given that things are falling? And I know that you're a, a hodler or a long-term holder. Hodler, yes. These are great prices to put money to work at. Definitely, okay. yes. We're going to leave the conversation there. Thank you so very, very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the Musk Twitter soap opera. This episode may just be beginning. But isn't this so damaging to Twitter? I think it's damaging to just about everybody involved. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, taking you behind the sounds of Squawk Box on CNBC. Listen, we have some breaking news. We got, there's another. Some crazy breaking news. <laughs> we want to talk about another tech stock. Uh, Elon Musk just tweeting again. He says, still committed to acquisition. After throwing in everything into a tizzy this morning, Twitter shares are now down, but by 11% instead of 25%. Is that the exact tweet still committed to that's acquisition? At, at what price? It doesn't say. That, that is it. That's, guys, that, but that's the point. Don't you think that this has always been just a negotiation or a renegotiation? He's committed to that the was, deal. That, that sounds Nobody like knows. It, but but. The, what's happening to the retail investors today, and by the way, the people who have had the most faith in Elon Musk, the ones who have bought in on this, is that they were down 25% this morning on his first tweet. Well, look, two things. I've been arguing that this is a renegotiation. But even beyond that, this, sec this second tweet, which, of course, everyone's trying to read the tea leaves on, he almost has to say that. If you actually read through the merger agreement, he has to be uh, acting arguably in good faith. So if, if people were to look at this and say he just woke up in the morning and decided he was, he was just out of the deal for, for reasons that made no sense, and it, increasingly the link that he included, which of course was to this idea that there was you know, only 5% spam bots and things and that that was somehow new information. You can go back, you can go back all the way back, I think, into 2013. There was another uh, filing in, in July 21 that actually said this already. So there, there may be a little bit of cleanup here. Uh, if, 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 for, if, you, if for some reason you don't believe deal, this is a renegotiation, so some yeah. of this may be just a cleanup legally. Uh, again, all of this has not been, nothing's been filed. This is all happening on Twitter, uh, which is ironic unto itself. Tesla immediately rallied on the, the notion that maybe he'd be, see if it's backed off at all. Nope. No, still up uh, almost 6%. How about, how about the Trump SPAC? How's that doing? The DWAC <laughs> was up about 10%. Uh, it's still up a little, uh, not quite 10 but up about, about half of that uh, right now. Well, it's a Friday in the, is it the summer? No, not no, quite. But it's a Friday it's in, in, and it's the 13th. It's, it's more like uh, April 1st, <laughs> I think. 
Or April 20th, <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, or 420. That's right. Um, but isn't yeah. this so damaging to Twitter, this whole situation? I think it's damaging to just about everybody involved. Damaging to Twitter, I think it hurts Elon Musk's credibility. Um, because, again, you can say fun and games, he's bigger than this, he doesn't have to play by the rules, but what you have seen this morning is a lot of money changing hands. And the people who maybe got burned, is anybody who was following him saying he's going to do the deal, I believe in him, comes out with this tweet, and you think, oh, maybe not, i got to get out of it. He sold down 25%. Uh, now it's back up from where it was on those levels. It's only down 10% now. You know, maybe if you were lucky, you were sleeping through all of this. He is now... I don't know if you guys have been following exactly what he's been saying, but in a number of these interviews he's done, even just this week when he did the interview with the, with the Financial Times, uh, uh, it was really really uh, intended to be about Tesla, but turned into an interview about Twitter. He he ends every sentence or you know every part of it by saying, "If if the deal goes through, or you know right. it may not go through, or I may not really own it." There's still a lot of things that need to get done before this deal concludes. Obviously, there's not yet even been a shareholder vote. Um, and, and Twitter has not yet filed the, the proxy for a shareholder vote. Um, so there are still, you know, some outstanding questions that need to be resolved. Um, and uh, so it, it is certainly not a done deal. It's sort of an interesting approach. You, re I mean, no other CEO approaches it that way. So, is it a renegotiating deal? That which side are you on? As you, you, you say, you've been you've been calling. I'm in the, that he was I'm in the renegotiation so he does category want it at the moment. And why are you saying that he doesn't really want it when he keeps saying, "If you," I know that there's a lot of champagne corks. Do they go? Does it go back in the bottle? That's very hard to do, isn't it? Kind of uh, like toothpaste. <laughs> but it's hard. You got to like shave it to get it back in there. On the left, a lot of champagne corks were coming out. Now I guess they're get it back in there if he still does buy it. I don't know. What is it? 50-50 now that he ends up with it? What, what do you think the real odds are? I don't know. I don't know what they've ever been in. And, and is it, does he get it for 42? Or what did we decide? 44-20? Uh, yeah, before 24. Yeah. <laughs> make a programming note uh, from uh, from someone who is likely to make a lot of news on Monday morning at 6 a.m. You can tune in for an exclusive interview that I had with former Fed chair Ben Bernanke. He's got a new book out called 21st Century Monetary Policy. And he's got some very fascinating views on what is actually happening in our economy what Jay Powell is doing right and wrong, what's happening at the White House, and so much more. We dive into all of that, and that starts on Monday at 6 a.m. First of all, I will say he looks pretty tan, calm, and rested. Probably happy to not be in that job right now. Joe, you had, you had asked why I was in Washington yesterday, and I know I, I was knew, meeting with my I backers why, and supporters. Considering I, knew, I, mean, run, I didn't know if I could but, say it. I, I didn't know if I was allowed to say it. So I was like feeling you out and I got nothing back from you. So I figured, well, I better not say anything. Then, yeah, um, I guess we couldn't really say so, anything. Till the, I didn't want to screw it up. If we talked about it, maybe you would have bailed or something. I don't know. Then there would have been hell to pay. Did he did he actually criticize Jay Powell? Yeah, they usually don't talk. They usually don't say anything. You got to see. You got to see what he's got to say. Stay tuned for Monday. It is there's there's so much in there oh, that's I think gonna, that people are going to wow. be fascinated by. All right, we look forward to it. That's it for Squawk Pod for today. I mean, this is a full-on Friday the 13th circus show. Sometimes, yeah. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin every weekday morning at 6 Eastern. Make sure to subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you.